Mortigan Clark makes great environments. We listen carefully to you, our client, to discover the nuances upon which we create great design. We inspire you with forward thinking and innovative solutions for transform spaces to optimize performance. Join us as we build you a better future through informed design. To learn more, see CordiganClark.com. That's CordiganClark.com. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of Build St. Louis, the podcast that captures and shares the very heartbeat of design, engineering, construction, and development. And I'm your host, Carrie Smith, owner of Information Works. And in this episode, we're delighted to welcome Doug Peters, the Project Development Manager at Cordigan Clarkner. And Doug certainly has represented global firms in the AEC industry for years, more than 15 years, I believe. And he's developed new white space vertical markets for firms across North America. He's passionate about formulating sales growth strategy and executing it through solid teams. And I personally met Doug about three months ago. And the first thing I noticed about you, Doug, is you are a true relationship builder and you're an out-of-the-box creative thinker and doer. So welcome to Build St. Louis. We're glad to have you. Well, thanks for having me. I'm honored. Oh, you're welcome. And I'm really excited to dive into the topic. I just redubbed it because I couldn't find my original topic that I told you, but true business development in 2023 in the AEC industry. And we talked a little bit before the show, and I'm looking forward to this. And I know that those who recruit and hire and manage business development people, as well as business development professionals, are going to look forward and learn a lot from the conversation today. So let's dive right in. And I'm just going to start with my memory of whatever the good old days mean to any of us. But I think of business development the last time I did it, which was probably 20 years ago. And it was like that, do you have enough business cards because you're walking into the convention center for the after hours wine and dine situation? And who am I going to shake hands with and all that good stuff? And that may be still be a component of business development or may not, but I have a feeling it's morphed through the years and would just love your kind of nostalgic take on maybe what it was 15 years ago, what it's seems to be today. Well, sure. So it's ironic. I left a conference we've been at for like three days and had the weirdest hours from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. It was definitely a marathon, but I can tell you that obviously, you know, at its core, I think it's always been a relationship business and technology has changed a lot of things, but really that's really where it starts is the relationships. When you talk about especially large projects, like my firm typically is associated with the AEC market, you know, 80, $90 million like RFQs, you could be somebody's best friend or drinking buddy, but it's unlikely that you're going to have much movement on a project of that magnitude just off a relationship. So it's that and more. And I think as I look at this, it's changed the business card, just the cold calling. That's kind of gone away, I think, to a large degree. Maybe there's a certain element of where you have to start a relationship. But I think I've used technology well to just be much more strategic. And I think if there's any word that you could say we apply today, maybe more than a decade ago, is just I can be super efficient by doing my research, knowing my client, knowing what their needs are. You know, everything is out there. And especially in certain sectors, you know, if you look at education, you have people's websites, they have bios, there's public records such as school board meetings and agendas. And so there's a lot of information that's out there through social media, through the internet that maybe wasn't out there before. 
Now that makes a lot of sense. And to me, that's the part, I guess, having a journalist background and some investigative journalism in my past, I and mean, that's the part that I find, in addition to being extroverted and liking the old school business development, that Intel part and probably like the resources that you bring to bear in doing that sound intriguing to me. And when I meant to back up a second, have you just explain Cortigan Clark Itner and really what specific sector in the AEC you're in for people? Maybe let's take a step back and mention that. Perfect. So most people that have been in the AEC market, especially in St. Louis, would know Itner. They were a legendary architecture firm dating back to like 124 years. William B. Itner was largely responsible for the design and development of almost all the St. Louis public schools. So they, it's really a, a unique setting for me. I came out of a large national role where I was developing a new vertical for a geotechnical engineering firm that was multinational. And I've never, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know if it's appropriate, but it'd be kind of like you were bringing the good word to the Congo. But now people know that name and it's powerful. So about five years ago, Itner was acquired by Cortigan Clark. It's a pretty large Midwest firm out of Aurora. And it's interesting. In our market in St. Louis, probably 90% of what we do is K-12. You know, we've had the honor of working with most school districts over that period of time. But as we get more into the Indiana and Chicago markets, and we actually have an office in downtown Chicago as well, it's more of a municipal market. So we do you know, a lot of station design. That's actually where my team just came from today, a large national station design, police, fire stations, civic centers, so a lot of that. But the studio of St. Louis is really focused heavily on K-12 and a lot of community college work. Makes sense. And you know, that kind of makes me think of a question about if there's a difference in business development, Intel, networking, relationship building, if it's private sector versus public sector, or mainly, I guess, where my brain's going on that is if, if you're being evaluated as a professional service or as like a contractor or a construction company may have to be hard bid or low bid. So I wondered where you fit in the space as an architectural firm and what that the connotations or the components of that as it relates to how you build those relationships. So in the public market, as it pertains to education, most of the work is a request for qualification. So it's sent out through an RFQ and it generally outlines the project. Generally, it's, it could be architectural services or it could be a design project. Generally, there's scope. A lot of it is dependent upon a referendum for a bond finance. These projects can range anywhere from architectural services, could be you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But if you get up into the design phase or large additions, they can go from, you know, 20 million to 100 million plus. So they're pretty, pretty substantial projects. And I look at this, if we're pursuing it, we have a, a go, no-go process. So we're very strategic about what we pursue. We can't, you know, the thing about architecture is you have a finite amount of capacity that so you can't chase every project out there because you'll implode. And we have the good fortune right now in St. Louis of we have recently brought on board, I think, 300 plus million dollars of new work. And so, you know, capacity becomes an issue. So there's things that we, I think we could get, but we can't pursue them. 
But the thing that's unique about the RFQ, I look at that as if we don't have an established relationship by the time that's released, you know, in ideally in a business development role, an RFQ being released tells me where I should have been, you know, a year or two ago. And it's not just that we're in there, you know, trying to be, it's not so much like a, a sales project or process. It's just like an awareness process in that, you know, we're just identifying what they might, whenever we're doing research, we're identifying who might be coming into market. And so we're just developing a strategy on how we're going to develop that relationship. If it's, there are very large districts out there that have business managers, CFO, chief operating officers, facilities managers? Is it top down where you're talking to you know superintendents, board members, and we're trying to develop relationships that way? Or sometimes it might, the easiest path might be to start with like the facilities folks and just, you know, build a relationship there and then work up to get introductions at a different level. So it's really neat. I don't know that there's any district that you could say, this is absolutely the way to do it. So what I do like about it, I'm fortunate to be on a team of, on the business development side, there's several of us and we'll work strategically as a team. So there's a lot of collaboration. And even though we're spread out from Aurora to the Quad Cities to down here in St. Louis, we typically converge, you know, somewhere and we'll kind of tag team these opportunities and just try to really make a great impression. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I really liked how you identified the different, not only strategically in terms of which companies and which organizations you pursue, but which, whether it's the facilities manager building relationship with or the school board or all of those people. And I wondered if there's also relationship building. I'm not sure, but in the old days, we were building relationships with the engineering firms that tended to be selected, particularly on the private sector stuff where it was professional services rather than low bid, but we were building relationships with them and with the construction managers or the general contractors. And I wondered, it seems like a lot of people you're having to build relationships with, but is that still sort of in play too with your potential project partners? Yeah, absolutely. So we we call them teaming partners. And so, you know, a lot of my time is spent, so I say this not arrogantly, but honestly, when you have such a strong reputation and you come from a legacy firm, I had senior architect tell me, and I hope this doesn't sound wrong, but as if you're the pretty girl at the dance, you know, everybody wants to dance with you or talk to you. And so it makes my job easier to the extent that I constantly have people reaching out to, hey, let's go do breakfast, let's go do lunch. And a lot of those are teaming partners, large general contractors, and even smaller ones as well. And a lot of the projects that we pursue, they'll have MBE, so minority or minority requirements. So our teaming strategy, even though we have a very diverse firm in St. Louis, constantly evaluating quality MBE partners or WBE partners. And really, it gives us a lot of flexibility when we put together a team without any client, specific clients you know, recent wins for us, we might've had four or five different partners that we went in with. And it just, it gives us a lot of flexibility, but it also brings a lot of expertise. You know, we're not everything to all people, but it expands our capacity and it just gives us a chance to distinguish ourselves because a lot of these partners have those same relationships that we have. So it's really created some powerful synergy as we pursue some of these opportunities. That's awesome. I appreciate you walking through that. So within the realm of architecture, I think I was hungry or making out my third grocery list of the week when I wrote, <laughs> wrote this question, but what do you see as the most effective 
quote unquote ingredients in growing new clients and work? And I think you already talked about some of them, but if you were telling someone who just graduated from school in the past couple of days and maybe headed into the world of business development or frankly, just the world of architecture, what would you tell them about how to get started, how to plant their root and the most important ingredients in developing those relationships? Well, that's a great question. And I think, you know, a lot of it depends on really where does your firm want to go? I mean, do we want to do some small municipal projects or design small strip centers or is it education or whatever it is? But I think, you know, really having a large portion of my experience in engineering in association with engineering firms, I think that there's a seller-doer term. In my realm, the first thing I thought about coming into a decent size or a fairly large size firm like the one I work for is everybody's in business development, right? So we might have 60, 65 architects, but each one of them have unique relationships. And so they're critical. And so I'm constantly, I'm interacting with new clients, partners, teaming partners, but internally, I'm really trying to not so much educate, but I'm really telling these folks, hey, you know, these are people you've worked with every day. You know, let me become a part of that. And they're not threatened by me coming in and messing up their friendships or their relationships. They embrace it because I'm pretty good. It doesn't maybe seem so now, but I'm pretty good at keeping my <laughs> mouth breakfast. And I think that's one thing there. But I think if I was new coming in, they're probably some of the younger maybe more senior in my career now, but some of the younger folks, probably super techno savvy. And I think they should embrace that. I think professional profiles, LinkedIn obviously is a no brainer. I think those are important because of a lot of these folks checking you out. They want to see who they're speaking with. So I think those things are super important. I think, you know, having as high level of, of professional professionalism as possible, I think that's incredibly important. But I think one of the things I did that when I first came to my firm was I just wanted them to take me everywhere, whether it was an owner's meeting, some kind of field work. So I built those internal relationships and gained that trust just by going everywhere. And it was nonstop. So I would say if I was newer to the business, I would want to hooch my wagon to as many opportunities as possible. Conferences, I don't know, people take them and leave them. I think a lot of it's how you can develop those leads, but I would really just be all in. And I look at it, I have home office, I have an office in downtown in my firm. If I'm sitting at a desk, I'm not doing my job. And to me, you know, me being out, unless it's research or whatever it is, some, I guess, desk work, there's a certain requirement of it. But I am a free spirit and I need to be out talking to those folks and building those relationships. And I'm very fortunate to be um, a part of a firm that they trust. They know that I'm out there doing my job. They might not see me for a week or so, but, you know, we use DRM platforms. There's a hundred of them out there, but I'm just constantly, you know, if I talk to anybody, it goes into a CRM and pretty well document my day. And one thing it does, as I also meet with my team, my business development team, and, you know, we're constantly talking strategy. Maybe it's upcoming events, you know, where somebody might need me to come up and help them with one of their clients, or I might bring them down here. So just collaboration and just getting involved. But I think there's a misnomer in that people think of business development people as, you know, the lampshade on their head and like, woohoo, let's go to the bar and buy everybody beers. I can tell you from a pretty long career, it's like given a choice between being at these social functions or sitting at home, I'd rather be. I hope it doesn't hurt my career, but it's like, I'd rather be like, you know, <laughs> reading a book, watching TV or whatever, but it's a necessary part of business. It's just a relationship and you never know where it's going to come from, but you know, it's not going to happen if you're not out there making it happen. 
No, you're exactly right. And I know as a journalist, that's been me. Sometimes it's just constantly, you know, no matter what profession you're in, people do business with people they like, and you never know who you meet, who's, you know, three levels up from that person or, you know, just this podcast, the editing team I found, they're in the Philippines and I found them through like three different people in the course of writing a story or a different client in a different part of the world. So it was kind of just that you're kidding me. So this is like, you know, just we're constantly, right? Like you said, adding people to our customer relations management platform. And you don't know sometimes, is it a dotted line or dashed line or how's it going to connect later? Yeah, that's an interesting part. And I just think that there's a lot of different things that come from that. And I'm very active with my network. I think that's a powerful thing. And I don't burn bridges. I believe strongly in that. But also competition. I have just as many friends that do what I do, you know, for my competitors. And, and we're constantly talking. And we're not the enemy. I mean, we just, everybody has a job to do. And it's just neat the kind of people you need out there. Definitely. I really appreciate that you said that about your competitors aren't the enemy because can't we all learn from if we're open and transparent, we can pick up ideas off of each other and steal the best ones. Yeah. I've said it and I say jokingly, like, you know, I am the enemy. I, I am my own, you know, where I'm not out there doing what I <laughs> need to do. That's not them that I need to worry about. It's it's me. Exactly. I look at her. I think we answered all our questions. I'm looking at, this is probably a super obvious question, maybe a little bit of non-objective one, but what can you teach someone and what can't you teach them about business development? I would think, as you said, you know, sometimes we'd rather be home having our introverted moments, but we have to kind of suit up or whatever. But I would think you could teach people the technical aspects and the intel. And But if they don't get excited about just making a connection, is some of that just raw personality? I mean, how does that, yeah, can you learn that? I guess so. I mean, you can't go to personality school, but I just, what I do, and, and I mean this sincerely, I am a great observer of people. And I tell people I'm a professional people reader, right? So I'm constantly events and meetings and whatever, and I'm just constantly watching people. And, and really, I just, I've seen, I've been around a lot of talented people and one of the things I think you could definitely learn is just being humble. And that likability thing is super important. And that's my special skill. It's like, I'm not the an Einstein that could tell you how to, I know very little about the actual nuts and bolts of architecture, but I know a lot about connecting. And, and that was no different when you and I first talked, right? It's a situation of you're just right. constantly interacting and talking to people and you're watching what people do and business acumen. You don't want to be the one that's the talk talking person that, you know, wants to talk 90% of the time and listen 5%. It's just the opposite. Being a really attentive, empathetic listener and just genuinely, and maybe it's cliche, but just genuinely caring about people. To me, it's far beyond $100 million building. You know, I can tell you my best relationships, I know they're kids. I know maybe I've been to dinner with them. I know that their hobby is camping. I know that a Kansas City Chiefs fan or whatever that might be. And those are the things that to me, if you can work to develop that level of connection and, and they'll answer the phone when you pick it up, the winning is the easy part. It's just the connecting on the front end to me that makes all the difference. I think that's very wise. And, you know, I see a lot of firms in the AEC industry will sort of lead with, shouldn't say a lot, but from those I've talked to, many of them lead with that we're on time and in budget and we're safe. And maybe we're talking more about the build than the design. But I feel like what you just mentioned, Doug, that if all things are equal in terms of qualifications for the job, people want to do business with people they like and trust. And it seems like those relationships should be sort of at the top of the pyramid rather than once someone's hires you to do the job, then they find out who they're going to be working with the next two years. 
Yeah, I was speaking with somebody maybe at this conference I just left, and I was joking with this. I think it was a, our chief and a mayor of a small town, and I talked about how important that is. It's kind of like a relationship. You like you're dating this person for the next year or two, and so you better like them, right? And they could be smart, and they could be the best friend out there, but if they're just not a connection or you're getting a weird vibe, that's not who you want to be with. So. Yeah, that's a great point because, yeah, you really are sort of, quote unquote, marrying. You're engaged to them in the pre-design stage, right? And then you're just married to them for the next, you know, however long. For people that had those relationships pre-2020, it was probably longer than they imagined. And the jobs morph over time. And I would think, yeah, is that person or team adaptable? Are they out-of-the-box thinkers when the supply chain dries up or whatever the heck else happened? Yeah, it's not. And so I really talk when we build these relationships, you know, there's the honeymoon phase, but that's not always going to be. I mean, there are going to be things will go wrong inevitably in construction and architecture and engineering. And I find that having that relationship that's built on, you know, integrity and honesty, you know, people are frustrated. They can pick up the phone, but I position myself as, hey, you're going to be interacting with our architects and our project managers, but I'm in the complaint department. And you know, you can pick up your phone at six in the morning or not one or two at night because I'll be asleep, but I'm going to answer and I'm going to move mountains to help you. I think that gives people, they know I'm genuine when I say it because I really mean it. I really think that gives them a sense of comfort that I'm taking the risk out of, of working with us because companies don't stay around as long as ours has by not doing what they see they're going to do. Excellent. Well, we could talk to you all day and we'll probably have you back on and do so again. But I really appreciate Ug Peters, Project Development Manager with Cordigan Clark Itner, joining us today for this conversation about what true business development looks like in 2023. And I guess if I had a closing question would be, what do you think it's going to look like in 2030? I mean, I hopefully won't have like robotic. I was just thinking yeah. about this, have robots handing out cards or just, you know, AI, who knows where it's going to go, right? But what mm -hmm. do you see it kind of always being relationship? building, I mean, into the near future? Yeah, I would think so. I think that I'll tell you one of the things, and you talked about some of the newer people maybe getting into the business. One of the most rewarding things is as you become more senior in your career, and I've had a lot of diversity, I've, you know, I've led large national sales teams, I've developed vertical markets for companies and done everything, a lot of challenging things. But at the end of the day, it's just you are connected to people. And I had a colleagues tell me once, it's almost like irrespective of product or service. If you took all, all that away, you know, you would still have that connection and that relationship. I just have always believed that. And I think every day, you know, I, I treat people like I want to be treated. I'm genuine. We're not everything to everybody and we can't be. But if you work hard and you're honest and you communicate well, it's a fun business to be in. That's awesome. Well, I can tell you enjoy what you do, at least a couple of times I've talked to you. <laughs> no, you're just really, you do really enjoy it. We appreciate you coming on Doug Peters, Project Development Manager with Cordigan Clark Itner. And this has been another episode of Build St. Louis. And thank you for being here. And y'all tune in again next time. At Trivers, we believe that buildings can and should make a meaningful difference in their communities. We choose challenging projects, digging deep to solve hard problems. We seek sustainable solutions by repurposing more and wasting less. We create catalysts for change through hard work and ingenuity. Visit us online at Trivers.com to learn more. Trivers, creating architecture of lasting positive consequence.